This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 136 of the ABZ Football Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gary Scott. This week joining me, as always, as a full squad, it is Graham Steele and Gavin J. Baxter. Gents, how is it going? Good, thank you. Slightly distracted trying to watch this and our national team at the same time. Yes. Uh, same like- men can't multitask. <laughs> <laughs> yes, likewise, Guy. It's not that I'm not enthralled by all your chat. Yes, I am watching the Scotland game on the living room TV so I can see little blue and red dots. But otherwise, yeah, just happy to pull myself out of that dark room that I've been hiding myself in since uh, we took a little bit of a 6-0 scud in the other week in Glasgow. Absolutely. Just as we've started to hit record, there's a penalty kick at Hamden Park, I believe. Yes, John McGinn is about to step up. VAR check complete. I think it's a very harsh handball, if I say so myself. Oh, so what's John McGinn going to do? Is he going to hit with his arse? He might do. Drum roll. Oh, to get the net. Tidy. <laughs> Clearly the internet at Gavin's is a little bit slower. <laughs> no idea what's going on. But there we go, Gavin's a goal. You're all right. If I didn't know any better, I'd say Graham's not watching this on Viaplay and he's watching this maybe on something else. No, I am watching it on Viaplay. Oh, then my internet is definitely a bit slower. There it is. 1-1. One, one. Happy I only, I only watch my television through official mm. channels. There we go. <laughs> anyway, in a week that saw the big mad racist Malky Mackay finally given his jotters at Dross County, that saw Kylian Mbappe in my eyes, maybe over-celebrate the 12th goal in France's 14-0 thumping of Gibraltar. You, you say that, but if you're going to score a 12th goal in a game, it's a pretty sweet 12th goal. It is, but at the same time, it's a bit like, okay, well, you know, 12. All right, Captain Killjoy. <laughs> um, and if you hey, if you like the Football Clichés podcast, I've been banging the drum for a little while here. This week's show, delighted to find them talking all things pure EFL 11. And this week's guest, Joe Lewis, with a mention in the team, which was eventually then chosen to be led by the one and only big bad Steve Evans. It was like they were just channeling the ABZ podcast on this. And um, they also saw Marvin Bartley go all Undertaker and JBL as he got stuck into his team for playing the PlayStation. Have you heard this? I've heard the the sort of sample clip. I've not, the, not heard the whole interview. Let's put it back on. It's great. Find out that players are doing that. You know, players... Uh, you know, on their computers for, for eight hours, you know, leading into matches. You know, I've had to go and pay and speak to someone to say, well, this is what's happening with my players. And there's only this week they came back with, you know, are, are they gaming? And I was like, well, we play games in training, thinking he meant that. And he's like, no, do, do they play on the Xboxes and Playstations? And I was like, I'll find out. And I go and speak to boys and boys are spending six, seven hours sat in one position, you know, eyes fixed, glued to a TV. 
and then trying to go and play a match the next day. And you're wondering why you can't concentrate. Come on, like, you know, find out. Well, there we go. The PlayStation's to blame for Queen of the South getting humped 3-1 by Kelty Hearts yesterday. Marvin Gramps, Bartley, not a fan <laughs> of uh, video games. It's that thing, isn't it? There's always, always a still game clip to match up with Scottish football. Ah-wise. Really Actually, on is. a slightly serious note, are Queen of the South part-time? No, I think they're full-time, aren't they? No, they are, okay. Because I was going to say, if they're part-time and these guys are working hard, then training, and then still finding the guts of a day to play their video game system, I can understand why you might be a bit cheesed off, but it's their time, so... Um, I think most players indulge in a bit of consoling. I don't really see them all getting... Uh... Gaming. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I can actually kind of understand the perspective as if they're spending like literally eight hours at a time playing. But it's just not the thing that you say in public. Um, you don't throw the team under the bus. So uh, my pick for the League One title, that might not be coming true based on that. Uh, yeah, no, they are third bottom of the table, four points off the bottom. So um, there we go. Anyway, I guess maybe a slightly more sedate one this week, boys. Um, not a lot to talk about in terms of the, the Dons as to having to review another horror show um, so far anyway. So we're going to check in on the latest news from EB24 this week, of which there is actually still a horror show, so well played to everybody on that one. Uh, we'll check in with the Loonies and Lone Watch, we'll check in with the Quines as they got back to SWPL1 action against Spartans on Sunday afternoon. Then we'll preview next weekend's clash at Pataudry, Scotland's youngest top flight team, the Rangers, travel to Pataudry in the cinch. And then we'll wrap things up after the break as we bring you part two of our exclusive interview with former Dons number one club captain, the absolutely brilliant aforementioned Joe Lewis. But first, latest news from AB24 this week. Well, kind of not really a lot happening really on the pitch, obviously, because there's no games and the, it, a lot of players were in international duty. Speaking of which, big slob of Dan Rubicic. Dead pleased for him getting that goal today for Montenegro after the kind of witch hunt that he's had to endure over the past week after the the tackle or the head clash with Kyogo last week. So for a moment, there was that classic moment where losers from Montenegro were going to qualify for the Euros today. It didn't quite happen for them. But um, if in yeah, the future Slobodan could engage the afterburners the way he does when he celebrates when he's defending. Has got to turn the pace about him as it turns out. A little bit, although Slobodan appears to be a very, very divisive player. I think it's fair to say there are some that really, really like him. And there are some that have a lot of concern over him. And even on a day like that, when he gets that goal, there is the all too familiar sight of a striker bearing down on goal with Slobodan about three yards behind chasing him. So uh, take the good with the bad, I guess. Let's just take the amazing moment of Jovetic setting up Rubicic today for that header as well, which was, you know, that's just a, that's a class thing. Let's be honest. Let's let's give him his moment. Great stuff. But um, yeah, boys, the biggest news of the week is probably the clusterfuck that has been the League Cup final ticket sales. Um <laughs> What a week. It would appear that there's a lapse somewhere along the way has meant that the general sale tickets were perhaps available to more people than the, in inverted commas, should have been, which has now seen a, and again, in inverted commas, small number of tickets requiring to be cancelled, although it also appears that some genuine Aberdeen fans have been caught up in that particular debacle as well. Now, Alan Burrows and the club, they've kind of held their hands up about it, admitted they got it wrong. I saw Jamie Hill from the ticket office posted today that he was kind of taking responsibility for being the one who didn't put the last security setting on the site. Um, ultimately, sometimes these things happen, mistakes happen, but it probably should never really gotten as far as that anyway, should it have? Sorry, I played my computer earlier. My concentration's way off. <laughs> Lovely stuff. come back to me. Um, I, I did see all the stuff. I mean, yeah, it shouldn't It shouldn't have happened. Um, it is it's a little bit embarrassing that it did. Um, 
But I guess it might be different if I had missed out and I'd been impacted. They'd obviously have a different point of view. But kind <laughs> as of it was, like, you're like, can't get a fuck. No, not that. I just I don't like the idea of. I think Burroughs has tried to do his bit to be a little bit more open and transparent, and the ticketing team, general, in my experience, and you know everyone when you go into the the shop and everything, everyone's really helpful. Everything works rather well. It's just unfortunate that when it did go wrong, you know, of all the games to pick, a final is the game you would not choose to miss. So, like I, don't, I just don't really like the idea of them getting um, pelters when more often than not, a lot of the good work they they do that we'll never even see. You know, it's kind of one of these things when everything works, no one's really high-fiving them. And then obviously if something does go wrong, it's high profile and people kind of maybe lose sight of the fact that there's, there's obviously a lot goes into organising the uh, the number of tickets that we were given. Um, so disappointing, but I kind of feel like, um, you know, maybe these things do just happen, but hopefully they don't ever happen again. Yeah, I think the fact that it's a cup final, like Graham says, but also more of the point, it's a cup final with the Rangers is what makes it all the more... Um, Makes it all more that we're under the scrutiny. Um, yeah, and I think likewise it shouldn't uh, shouldn't really come down to that to that state. I think that's what we're going to talk about later. It's maybe just a a desperation to sell as many tickets as possible. Um, in in the face of the fifty fifty split argument that's led to this. Um, uh, at least you know they've been able to go about finding out the information where they can rectify the situation. So uh, yeah, hopefully some lessons have been learned. You just touched on the gap. Do you think maybe were the club a bit keen, you think, to stick it up the SPFL's collective arseholes by selling our element of the, the, the ticket sales out as quickly as possible? I mean, there's no issues with it going to a general sale, but perhaps maybe one or more tiers needed to be added in after the 200 priority point level was, was banked in. It seemed like quite a sudden jump to go from 200 down to just general sale and anybody can buy four. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it seems to just be a bit of a, a common sense approach, doesn't it? That you go from your plus 200 to maybe 100 to 199. It's like one to 100 and then you stick it on general sale. I think that, yeah, given the the fuss that the club rightfully um, kicked up over the 50-50 split, um, and I think there's probably a general feeling that those extra 2,500 seats that we've got coming our way now were in the club's mind maybe intended for Rangers if we hadn't sold them in the in the kind of time we were talking about. So yeah, maybe uh, yeah, overly desperate to to get those tickets sold. And that's probably what's ultimately led to this fairly, you know, it's, it is human error and you have to accept it. It's just a, a genuine mistake, but it is still a pretty embarrassing state for the club to be in. It's 2-1 Norway now at Hamden Park. So. Yes, you can see the ball ricocheting off Xander Clark's body into the net. Santa Claus is a really bad goalkeeper, isn't he? Can we have that conversation now? He's definitely not Angus Gunn, let's just say that. Yeah, he's definitely not good enough to be in that sort of position. I'll be wary if we end up going to the Euros with Xander Clark in the number two um, position there. But anyway, let's um, let's move on from that one. On the Quines, uh, Gav, you were the ABZFP representative at the Balmoral this afternoon. Um, I was. One change to Clinton Lancaster's downside that uh, were defeated by Park Thistle on Tuesday night. Phoebe Murray replacing uh, Darcy Miller. And and after what was, I guess, a quite opening to the match with both teams struggling to create any chances, the home side did get the lead, a ricocheted clearance from a Spartans defender, falling into the path of who else but Bailey Hutchison, who held off Dean McMahon before smashing a shot high into the roof of the net. And the Dons clearly building on confidence from there as they took they started to knock the ball out with a lot of confidence. And they were awarded with a second goal just four minutes later. Fantastic ball through by Ava Thompson, finding Hannah Stewart, which culminated in Hutchison turning provider as she 
touched the ball back to Stuart, who finished with aplomb for her fifth goal of the campaign. That was kind of how it stayed until just near on half time, and then Gav, a worrying end to the the first forty five minutes is Rebecca Galbraith and the Spartans team required lengthy treatment after a uh, a clash at the uh, the Don's end. Two players committed going for the ball in the air. Nearly forty minute stoppage. Gav here's physios took uh, care of the Spartans player, and eventually she had to leave it in an ambulance. Yeah, I think by my reckoning, it was about thirty minutes on my watch. Um, just you know, an, an innocuous um challenge you know, you know the ball in the air both players going for it um the Aberdeen defender I think it was Madison Finney probably did um go through the back of Galbraith a little bit and that just seemed to cause a bit of a well more than a bit of a, a whiplash effect and what you could kind of gather from the Spartans bench and from the referee was that you know they were concerned about her head neck spine obviously no one was taking any chances over it um hushed silence over the Balmoral for that entire period. So the the good thing, I guess, you can take from it is that I could see as she was getting taken down the tunnel that she was talking to the people around her. And fingers crossed, it's just a case of people being extremely, extremely cautious over that kind of injury. And she's uh, she's all right. Yeah, halftime 2-0. And I guess uh, maybe to be a bit expected, uh, a slightly subdued start to that second half after what had just gone before them. Um, the Dons still nearly getting a third goal. Just before 70-minute mark, 15-year-old Phoebe Murray seeing her long-range effort clatter back off the crossbar. The game then kind of just played itself out. Aberdeen maybe get a little bit more scrappy here. The visitors pulling a goal back three minutes into stoppage time through Gibb. But uh, the Dons eventually holding on for a 2-1 win, a much-needed win as well. The Quines remain seventh in the table, so now two points off Hearts and sixth. But they have opened up a nice gap of 12 points to second bottom Montrose, which of course is one of the playoff spots. Gav, um, like I said, you were there this afternoon and and you were kind of talking uh, before we started about, you could kind of see a, a real change in the kind of, in inverted commas, philosophy with the with the Quines this season under Clint <laughs> Lancaster. Um, potentially some real signs of progress there, you think? Definitely. Um, I think the opening 25 minutes of the game, Aberdeen were extremely impressive. Um, you can see a definite change in the vision um, and the strategy. It's a lot more about playing out from the back and transitioning the ball um, up the field in, in phases of play rather than what I've what I found in the last two years watching Aberdeen. And I don't mean this to take anything away from the achievements because what um, the team have done up until now over the last five years was incredible, uh, rising up through the leagues and, and maintaining their place in SWPL1. But there has been an eagerness to get the ball, you know, in midfield, in defense, and just look immediately for the long ball over the top for, for Bailey Hutchison to, to run onto. And that's still got its merits, absolutely, when the ball is on and when you've got someone like Hutchison who plays so well off the off the shoulder of the last defender. But there's there's good players in that team, and it was really refreshing to see them looking around, looking for teammates, looking for passes, neat pieces of interplay. And that's what it was for the first 25 minutes. Um, and it was really, really impressive. We get the two-goal lead. And at that point, I'm just thinking that we're going to, you know, absolutely run away with this game. Unfortunately, um, that started to get away from us a little bit. In the second half, uh, we were just very, very slack uh, with our possession out at the back. Uh, you know, whether that's playing the ball straight to a Spartans player, picking the wrong teammate for the pass who's already under pressure, or receiving players just waiting for the ball inviting the pressure from the Spartans players and that kind of inevitably led to Spartans getting back in the game creating more chances 
luckily for us they didn't have enough to to take them to force a draw or even a defeat so good result but i did find that the club may the team maybe slipped into some old habits as the game went on but the positive is that yeah clint lancaster has done you can see the work that he's done you can see the the vision that he has long term and you have to believe that the longer he's here the the better the team's going to get yeah, and I guess it's, I think the thing as well it needs to be put into a lot of context as well for people who don't you know follow the women's team maybe quite as much. That's a team as well at the moment who are missing a lot of players who would have been regarded as being key players at the start of the season. Um, obviously, the, the the injury to Faye Kirby, which was the kind of marquee signing at the start of the season, uh, the unknown Liverpool goalkeeper. You know, she's out for the season with a, an ACL. You then got Laura Holden. Um, the ABZFP sponsors Laura Holden out for the season as well. It looks like again with an ACL. Um, Nadine Hansen now is obviously missing out with um, with her pregnancy. It's a very very young team as well that that's kind of having to come through just now. For so for them to be still going toe to toe with teams like Spartans who are very experienced at this level as well now, uh, obviously picked up a good win as well the other week. You know it shows a lot about I think what Lancaster's trying to do, and it shows a lot about the talent that's maybe kind of coming through in the local area as well because the majority of the girls that are coming through the system are coming up through the Aberdeen Ladies Network. And it's it's generally speaking, you know, girls from the northeast of Scotland. And, you know, what I noticed in the uh, in the reports regarding the, the finances, the, the team is that there is a commitment from the board to continue to grow the women's team. Um, I believe that was mentioned uh, a plan for the team to become a professional outfit within five years. And you can see players in there now who will still be of a good age in five years who, if they're given full-time coaching, will only get better and better. Um, Ailey Shore rightfully takes a lot of the plaudits. Bailey Hutchison as well for the goals she scores. I think it's worth noting that Jess Broderick, anytime I've watched her, is always a consistent figure at the back. So, yeah, there's definitely good players, a lot of potential in there. A very young team, like I say. Um, Phoebe Money in the centre midfield, 15 years old. Uh, played way beyond her years uh, today. A very impressive performance. So, yeah, there, the potential's there. Absolutely. And you just want to see that continue and you want to see the players continue to believe in Lancaster's methods because I think he's going about producing a really really good exciting to watch Aberdeen team that's actually something I completely forgot to touch on um when we talked about the news was about the financials that came out over the start of the weekend I think uh, the reason I forgot to touch on is because I hadn't really done a lot of digging into it to be honest with you but I think if memory serves the account showed a profit this season of was it 1.1 million I think it was uh, yep. We're running at an operating loss, but the pro- a profit turned off the back of player sales, effectively. Quite interesting to read sometimes the accounts from this perspective, because what they do show is that, obviously, last season, a disappointing campaign the year prior when we'd finished 10th, etc., etc. These accounts, they would have taken us up to finishing third and also into a League Cup semi-final. So you can understand why turnover increased from that perspective, but... Maybe a little bit of a worry, just the fact, Graham, that and you're the accountant on the show, so we'll um, we'll look at this here with you. A bit of a worry, just in terms of the kind of wages to turnover ratio. I think it's jumped from seventy four percent up to about seventy six percent, something like that, this year. Yeah, UEFA uh, recommendations seventy. I was going to say I knew somewhere there was a suggested uh, guys, and I think it varies league to league. If you look at maybe obviously sort of the amount of money um, that you, you know, clubs can generate, I think in Scotland's maybe a little bit lower so you maybe are trying to stretch yourself wages wise to compete but I think that is a little bit alarming I mean all of this stuff is useful if you've got some comparisons whether that's you know the last few years of Aberdeen or maybe the the rest of the league for example because 76 feels like it's high and it's getting higher but 
you know, if if our competitors are around about the same, maybe that's just what you have to do to try and be competitive. Um, an operating loss is never good because uh, it's not going to be the case that every season you can mask that with player sales. Or if you look at who's in the squad right now, I guess some of the some of the big names that we thought might go for money have gone. So it's kind of who's who's next. Um, and I guess you've maybe got Yovsky, Duke, some of these boys. But it's that balancing act for Aberdeen. Clearly, getting getting players in to sell them on is part of the strategy. But I don't think player sales will always bail you out if fundamentally you're spending more than you're bringing in. So I think it shows signs of improvement. And it, I think it does back if it was with, um, you know, Cormac has sort of stated that they will be trying to invest in the first team and in the, in the women's team as well. So it's maybe different to previous seasons where we've overspent. Yeah. And you think, well, where the hell is that going on? You know, Mark Kerr, we're getting something for it with the bigger picture. The club is trying to to make some changes and invest for its future. Um, so, yeah, um, I haven't gone through it in detail, but so headline figures, you think, well, that's probably not too bad for any team in Scotland, actually, is to be making money or wow. returning a profit, rather. I think, am I not right in thinking, I think Sevco announced a 250 grand I think profit? they had, ooh. Ooh, something's happened. Well, 2-2, two, two, but I don't know if he's, you never know with the old VARs, but it looks like it's in. Uh, yeah, they had a really, really small. Oh, damn, your stream is so much faster than mine. <laughs> um, they had a small profit, which is obviously distressing. Well, but is it though? Because that was off the back of a Champions League season. Well, that's true. And I guess that's the difference. If you have to break in that much money to effectively break even, you know, the, there's no headroom in that, basically. If you get it yeah. wrong, you're in big trouble. Whereas kind of feels like there's maybe a little bit more of a buffer we've got before you're you're losing money for the season. But it proves the, the difficulty that it is to actually return yeah. a, a profit. Yeah, and I think this it goes back as well, I think, to what something Cormac has said. He's on record saying, I can't remember if he talked about it when he was on our show, but... You know, if we don't sell players or if we don't make Europe, you know, he and other members of the board or other investors effectively know they're going to have to plug the gap year on year, which is why the model has to be that we, we bring in players and turn them over. And so far, the model's kind of working. I think last year's last the accounts we're talking about would have taken into account probably sale fees for, I think in that period, it must have been for Lewis Ferguson and Ross McCrory. I would think. Uh, Ramsey, maybe. And maybe Ramsey as well. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it's a good shout. And then I think there was also the bonus of an additional add-on for Scott McKenna as well. Uh, okay. After Forrest being promoted. Um, so that's all fine and dandy, as you say. But there is that... This does put pressure, doesn't it, on the, the money ball model in terms of how to find now players who you can get in on the cheap and sell for big profit. And... We've been fortunate in that so far, Ramadani came for a hundred grand, went for you know ten times that, which is yep. good business. Although probably likely to go to Inter Milan now, and hopefully we've got some sort of um, sell-on fee there. Miofsky and Duke are the two next obvious ones in the list. I guess the concern now would be though that from this, the players who came in this summer, who I think we're trying to use that model with, the jury's still a little bit out, isn't it, about whether they're actually going to be able to to do that. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, so looking through, we've not seen anywhere near enough of McGarry, obviously, because he got injured quite early on. And he doesn't really, I think, probably position, age, etc. He's not going to, he's unlikely to generate a significant return, if anything, if he was to move on. Um, you know, we've not seen enough of Gay. 
um, given that you know, I think we spent a decent chunk of them, you have to get a big number to get anything back. McGrath, arguably, might yeah. be one of the options. I mean, it didn't cost us anything. Uh, he's been playing rather well, so you never know. Um, but yeah, I think I don't see Dukomiovsky or the, I feel like the obvious ones that uh, someone would be looking at. Uh, I don't know what sort of state of play we're at with Baron in so much as, you know, I guess, I can't remember how old he is. Are you still, did you stand up with the development fee if he goes for nothing? We'll pick up a development, or we should theoretically pick up a development fee. Um, depending on where he goes, though. Depending on where he goes, True, yeah. It depends on where he goes. Um, and he's probably adding to his status at the moment as well. He's had a good start to the season. Captain the Scotland under-21s. I did um, see that. To a really good win in Belgium the other night. But the, but the risk there is he's the one that... Yeah. Like, he's the one that gets away. You'd think, well, he's one that we would have expected to get a return on. Uh, and obviously, depending on his contractual situation, you might not get the return that you you possibly need to keep the model going. So, I mean, it's still also his sort of so relatively new model that we are trying overall. It's probably an encouraging start, but I think it's a, it's a difficult model to do because you, I feel like you have to get that right probably every season. You have probably every year or at least I think every 18 year, every months, two months, at a push. You need to, find you need to be selling someone. Yeah, you, well, you need to find them get them into the team, get them playing well, and then you need, to, you need to find a buyer for them as well. And then the difficulty is if if you look around the rest of the league, if if this starts to work for us, there are another couple of teams that could probably find the budget to try and match it, and then you're Aye, competing in the same pool. It'll be fucking funny when it's Hibs trying to do it. We've already seen that. Um, <laughs> On the corner of Baron topic, I think I would just say that any day now I expect the comment from him or his agent to the effect of, we're going to give it till the end of the season to decide, but um, if we're open to anything, yeah, because again, it feels like I know that they're I know they're doing talks, but it feels like those talks have dragged out a little bit. I mean, at least they're at the table was the one thing you could say, which you know, for the last twelve months hasn't looked like it would be the case. So let's um, let's wait and see that. But yeah, interesting reading in, in the accounts. Maybe we might have a wee proper dig deep on them later on. Let's move on from that anyway. Uh, young team, no game for them this week. Um, they've got a couple weeks off, I think, just now. They don't have a game until the 1st of December on the loan watch again kind of hit quite he- heavily with the old international break Kieran Nguyenia Park Thistle they had no game this weekend Evan Towler no game for Montrose this weekend either although it's unlikely he would have been involved Alfie Bavage he was away with Scotland so he missed Kelty's 3-1 win over Marvin Bartley's PlayStation 5 Queen of the South on Saturday afternoon Aaron Reid came off the bench for the final seven minutes and had an instant impact as he set up the winning goal for Peterhead just two minutes after being brought on as they beat Spartans 2-1 in League 2. Liam Harvey and Blair McKenzie, Elgin City. Harvey with a start, McKenzie an unused sub as Elgin were beaten 1-0 by Dumbarton in League 2. Dylan Lobbin and Adam Emsley both started for, for Martin as they were beaten 2-1 by Banks D in the Highland League. Finlay Murray, another start for him as Tura went down by three goals to nil to Breaking City in the Highland League. Kevin Hanrati, no place again in the squad as Bucky beat Wick Academy by five goals to two. Jaden Richardson, an unused substitute, Stockport winning 2-0 against Colchester United in League 2 down south. And Anthony Stewart was spared his blushes as there was no game for the Dons of the Milton Keynes variety in the battle of good versus evil. Milton Keynes Dons versus Wimbledon postponed this week. Shall we move on? Yes. Next Sunday sees the first visit of the season to the home of football, for Scotland's youngest top flight team is Sevco 5088 Limited, trading as the Rangers travel north for the Sky Sports game at lunchtime. The Dons, of course, 
already with a win over next weekend's opponents this season. A handsome 3-1 win at Mordor, seeing the Ibrox side requiring to sack Ali McBeal, much to the chagrin of this particular podcast host, <laughs> who did enjoy dabbling in a little McBeal impersonation. The Dons also running out winners last time the sides played at Pataudry at the back end of last season. A glorious 2-0 win that saw goals from Liam Scales retiring Al McGregor off the back of it and Boyan Miofsky ensuring that Barry Robson would be named permanent Dons gaffer shortly thereafter. 12 league games between the sides at Pataudry. The Dons with only two wins out of those 12, four draws and six wins for the visitors. Their last win at Pataudry, of course, that horrendous 3-2 win in December last year as the Dons threw away a 2-1 lead, conceding two goals in injury time as the Dons lurched onwards towards that one bad week in January. Since our last meeting with the Sevkanites, they have, of course, jettisoned McBeal to be replaced with the Belgian Paul Le Guin. Philippe Clement, like his predecessor, complete with big baldy napper, has, to be fair, seen a turnaround in form for the Govan side. Seven matches, six wins, and a draw so far. That draw coming in Europe away at Sparta Prague. Was it Sparta Prague they've got in their group? Sparta Slavia. Yeah, remember. let's Sparta. say that. Six wins from six, though, domestically. Last time out, it was a 2-0 win at Livingston. Clone appearing so far to favour a 4-2-3-1, supporting runs from the three tucked in behind the striker. Expect to see Danilo or Dessers adopting the number nine role. Second top goal scorers in the division so far, 26 scored. And they do, at this moment in time, have the tightest defence in the league. They've only conceded six goals in the league this season. So, Graham, you're the mathematician here. How many, what percent of... Goals do Aberdeen account for this season? Uh, only because I'm uh, reading it off your script. It's not good, is it? <laughs> 50% of the goals that Sevco conceded this season have come at the hands of the mighty fucking dandies. So there we go. Um, they've played six games so far this season away from Ibrox. Five wins and one defeat. That coming on the opening day of the season at Kilmarnock. Top scorer, James Tavernier. No surprises here. Rangers awarded six penalties so far this season with Tavernier scoring four of them. Uh, one of them, of course, coming last time out at Livingston, which was, in my eyes, quite possibly one of the worst penalties I've ever seen, particularly given the fact we now have VAR. I think in the words of, um, oh, Jesus, what's his name? Andy, what's his name? Pundit. Your man. Your man. Andy. Your man. Um, Walker. Andy Walker, is that a person? Andy Walker, that's a person. In, in, the, in the words of Andy Walker, I would say that McCausland used his experience very well in that game. Yes, this, this four-year-old McCausland used his experience <laughs> wonderfully well. No, I, think he, I think he used the badge in his jersey to signal that it was a penalty. <laughs> exactly. Um, interestingly, I guess one of, the, one of the interesting parts about Clement certainly is that he seems to be getting a bit more of a tune out of some of those players that Beale either wasn't looking at. Um, even Snake Mark II has suddenly been getting a bit of a look-in after his days in Govan appeared to be numbered in the summer. The likes of Danilo, Dessers... Even Landers, who were all being, you know, rightfully at the start of the season, fucking absolutely just ripped to shreds because how poor they looked. If suddenly actually like they might have something potentially about them. Um, in terms of style, though, they're not too dissimilar from where they were with Beal. A lot of passes, it's not particularly quick through the lines. They're certainly looking to hit wide areas a bit more maybe than they were under Beal. So again, it feels like I say this every time we play this lot probably need to look out for the likes of Barisic and Tavernier getting up the wings, looking to swing balls into the box. I guess one of the places that Clement appears to have made his mark so far is probably out of possession. 
They're now the most active team in the league when it comes to actively pressing the opposition, a PPDA of 9.3 now. Places them above Celtic on that metric. And of course, you know, we, we all know what Celtic are like out of possession. So to see somebody jump up ahead of them is, is, is a bit of a statement from that perspective. So far as well this season, on 17 occasions, they've turned the ball over in the final third and managed to get shots away. So that is something, again, we need to be mindful of, but it's not really like we tend to piss about with the ball at the back that much, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> All I read there is a statement that will inform by Robson that we can't play through them. We better play over them. Yeah. Um, the game, of course, comes just a matter of weeks prior to the League Cup final. So I guess it can be possibly seen as a bit of a dress rehearsal for that one. So, gents, thoughts? We're coming into the kind of, I don't want to use the football cliche, business end of the season, but it feels that way. We've got a lot of games now between now and the run up to Christmas. It's important that we put to bed that performance. It's Celtic Park very, very quickly, isn't it? And we we really need to get a performance and hopefully a win to give ourselves something to build on, not just um, for the month of December, but also, I think, to look forward to that League Cup final and, and before Christmas. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I remember last time I was doing this show, we were talking after the after the mother, after, sorry, after the Hibs semi-final and we were talking about, I think Gary proposed the hypothetical scenario, which should we maybe rest players for Pauk and I think I made the point that you don't want to undo all the good work we've done in the Motherwell game and the Hibs game by going and taking an absolute hammering and you know we come away with a great result in Greece and then of course a few days later we suffer the um, aforementioned hammering the second time in a calendar year we've lost 6-0 in the league which is uh, really tells you just how up and down Aberdeen's you know last year has been um, as far as this game, you know, it's it's one of these games where, you know, Clement has come in and definitely has done something to, you know, just improve their fortunes. And, you know, the record there is, uh, as hard as it is to say, it's an impressive start for a new manager. Um, if we're going into this game with the landlord of the Queen Vic, then I'd be feeling probably a little bit more confident with things. But, yeah, he, he is definitely getting a tune out of them. And... I've been to more than enough Rangers games of pathology in my lifetime to know that these games are, you know, they're volatile, they're feisty, and anything can really happen in them, um, especially when you consider um, the existence of, of VAR now. So expecting a difficult game for sure, but I think for the sake of, yeah, putting to bed, maybe maybe the international break for once came at a good time um, as far as just letting us lick our wounds after that absolute scudding at uh, against Celtic. But we need to... You put a marker down. It's uh, football's a funny old game, especially when you're an Aberdeen fan, because we're all very positive after after Hibs and after Pauk. And then a 6-0 defeat has people, I think rightfully, questioning the manager's position once again. So there's no better way as an Aberdeen manager to allay those kind of fears than a good performance and a good result against Rangers at home. What do you think, Graham? Does this have any sort of bearing at all in the League Cup final? No, I don't think so. You're... About a month away, uh, different occasion. We're at home, finals at a neutral venue. Sorry, um, <laughs> so I, I don't think it really. I don't think it changes much, to be honest. Uh, I think it's really important. Not the fact that it's Rangers, but I mean, look at our league positions, pretty woeful. Ninth, albeit with a game or two in hand on the opposition for various reasons, but twelve points after eleven games, we're you know it's still quite close, but. Obviously, every kind of week that goes by and we don't do anything about that, then that won't be the case. So I think we need to get going. And I think it's more, it's not so much the fact that it's them, it's just about trying to, like Gavin said, let's let's just try and get a bit of confidence, momentum and some results 
end of the team over the coming week so that hopefully when we come into that final, you know, you've got a manager who feels like everyone's on his side. You've got a team that's hopefully playing well and is full of confidence. And you, you've got a fan base. I know it's it's a cup final, so I would expect everyone to be behind the team from the start regardless. But it's obviously better to go into that cup final if we've been on the back of a few good wins and the league table starting to look a little bit better for us. Uh, that's where you want to be. And, you know, it's got to start on Sunday with your, your first game back. I think um, all things being equal, let's just um, take the view that all the players come back from international breaks, fits, ready to go again. I, I saw Jamie McGrath actually came off the bench for Ireland against the Netherlands yesterday. So he's fit, which is good because there's obviously some concerns about him missing from the Celtic game with a hamstring injury. That's right, Gavin. There were concerns about Jamie McGrath missing for where, the Dons. Where was he? Where was he when his teammates were in the shit? Um, that's, uh, a point, that's a point getting taken off him. There we go. 6-3. Dodgy hands. I was going to say, he must still be cuffing you, though. <laughs> oh, he's still way ahead, yeah. <laughs> um, are we, you know, what are we expecting in terms of... I think we could probably all guess what shape we're going to see. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think we'll see the 5-4-1 wheeled back out again that's had levels of success against teams who you may view you'll have less of the ball against. Um, but in terms of the actual lineup, what, what do you think Robson will go with here? You know, when you break it all down and as I've as I've done before this recording, we've conceded 35 goals this season in 20 games. So we're fucking great at defending. We're roughly conceding two goals a game. Yeah. So that's not a great sign. And we have just come off the back of a 6-0 defeat. And I think in any other circumstance, you would expect changes in the defensive line in some way, shape, or form. So guess what? I don't expect us to make a single change in the defense. I don't think we change anything. Uh, who did he play at Parkhead? Why was Hayes playing at Parkhead? Because he was playing in midfield instead of McGrath. Yes, that's right. Okay, fine. Okay. Jack yeah, McKenzie I, I, was definitely there. He was uh, asleep at the back post as he usually is. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I don't. I don't expect there to be much in the way of changes at the back in the back line. Although I did spot Jimmy McGarry was back in training at Cormac Park, so perhaps his hamstring not as bad as had been first feared. But I, I presume it's going to come a little bit too soon from this one. Uh, Graham, do you tend to agree the, the back six, if we include Kelrus, is going to stay the same? I think so, just because despite the manager uh, Gav's banging his head against the greeting about fatigue, uh, he's kept them all in there. So, and I'd be surprised. I mean, changing them for one of what probably will prove to be your trickier games is a bit risky. So I'd imagine it would just keep it the same. You know, if any fans of comic books out there will understand, like, you know, sometimes you'll have like the cloud thought bubble appearing over someone's head in a comic book. Kel would sit the fourth goal. You know, the one Turnbull looks like he's going to hit to the far corner and they kind of drives it into the near post. Yeah. If there was a thought bubble coming out of Kel head, it would say something along the lines of, I probably could save this. But fuck it. <laughs> um, okay, I guess the midfield area has been the one that we've seen the most changes in when when Robson decided to change things up. What do you think he should go with here um, against Rangers? I, it feels to me that Conor Barron has to come back in. He missed out at Parkhead, if I'm not mistaken. I can't even remember. I've tried to put the, the, the Celtic game into the the furthest recesses of my mind. Um, Leighton Clarkson started that game, so I think Connor would have been on the bench. Yeah, and Povara came off the bench as well, as I remember. So uh, is it time for big-time Dante to to step back up? See, I'm unsure, actually. I'm not as convinced of you about what the formation's going to be. I think there could be a a temptation to go back to two up front. 
and bring Duke back into partner Bojan Milovski. So go 3-5-2? I think possibly. Um, as much as anything, just to be uh, perceived to be the, being that bit more positive, to be on the front foot and to carry more of an attacking threat with Duke and Milovski up front. Um, if we do go ahead and play the 5-4-1, I can completely envision Connor Bannon coming in. He's had a very good time of it with ourselves. Had a good time with the Scotland under-21s in midweek, you know, captaining them and being involved in, in creating a goal. Shinny will play because Shinny's the captain. Uh, Jamie McGrath will play if he's available and fit because he's proven very adept in that formation especially. And if it's all things all being well, then yeah, I think Dante will come in because I think that's the best balance of that midfield um, in that formation. And Dante is showing that he can get forward, support the striker, score goals from midfield. Um, so that's the way I can see that happening. Yeah, there's a the 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 way to top off what's currently been the Dante Povara redemption arc at the moment is a winning goal against the Huns, isn't it? Oh yeah, and then Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes, oh, absolutely. Not bigoted though, why would I get to them? <laughs> what do you think, Graham? Is it, is, is it time for big time Dante to come back in the side, do you think? Yes. You sound so enthusiastic about the whole thing. No, I would say so. It just feels like where that worked earlier on. So Frankfurt's probably the obvious one. And then he's had flashes, but that whole sort of midfield combo hasn't quite clicked the way it did. Probably the Frankfurt's one of the better examples where it just all sort of worked. I feel like he's been tinkering since then and has not quite had the same success. But I know he didn't get home for 70 minutes until he made the triple change and took it all off like true, that works that, that was okay yeah that's true that was working actually um, yeah I think I agree with you know he the last few games and also this season he's demonstrated a, an ability and a willingness to to get forward and score a couple of goals from that he's had a couple of decent assists as well his all round game you know, certainly seems to have improved uh, so yeah I, I think I'd be happy enough to have him in the midfield um, and I, th- I think it's going to be it's probably going to be quite a tough shift in there so maybe you want a guy who's not played that much and who should be fresh and then I'm not sure he'll last 90 because he never seems to be able to but hopefully he'll have done his work in that first sort of hour or so and then we can change him out for someone who's um, you know going to slot into that position Do you agree with Gav Graham? Do you think we'll go two up top or do you think he goes with a 5 or one I think he'll go one yeah, I think he goes one as well. Which I should say, actually, that there have been games where that is just woeful to watch because we've launched it. But there have been games where it's been fine because I mean, obviously he does a good job of you know making the runs, working hard. I feel like his hold-up play has improved. But, that, but there have been games, like, and probably having Bovara is a good example, where you know it is the one with Miofsky, but then you do get some support from midfield. So he's not totally isolated. So... I say I think he'll go with the one, but that's not actually necessarily as negative as it might sound. It, it has worked for us on more than one occasion this season. And what we found the last couple of games, I feel like we're maybe, I don't really want to criticise Duke too much because in general, since he's, he arrived, he's been decent, but it's not really happened from this season. So what we tend to do is it's just up the channel for him who finds it's not really happened for him, throws himself to the deck, doesn't get anything and the opposition can start to to break on us. So I'm okay with it being the one. I don't mind the one. As long we, as we're just not aimlessly shelling it. If we're going to do that, then yeah, yeah, it's yeah. totally pointless. I don't mind the one if we play it in the way we played at Fir Park, where 
in out of possession you're, you're kind of five four one but in possession you're kind of like the christmas tree it's like a kind of three four two one and you've got a couple of guys getting up around Zymiowski. what's interesting this season i think though is that if you look at on the whole our better performances this campaign danny Povara's started those games i think when you go back through them all i'm trying desperately to go through them now the, the matches where we've looked decent in i'm pretty sure Povara has started every single one of them um which does just make me go, is he perhaps a little bit of the linchpin here? Where we kind of focus, I think it's one of Clarkson and Barron alongside Shinny. Yeah. It's one of those two in there. But it feels as though Povara is almost the, the, the key player in this moment in time, which again, I think I said it on the last podcast, if he said this at the start of the season, this would have even hauling me off to the fucking loony bin probably right now. But it, it, fair fucks them. He's kind of played his way into that position. And if we can play like that, and if we can get ourselves our foot in the ball on Sunday, and this is my biggest concern about when we play play teams who will probably have more ball than us, is how we get on that front foot and how we try to to play a bit and try to play through the lines and actually are not just humping the ball up to Miofsky and hoping for the best. Well, that yeah. there for me is why you need to keep players in the centre of the field like your Connor Barron, who are going to be brave and get their foot on the ball whenever they can. And it's going to be about, you know, intelligent balls, perhaps down the sides for Miofsky to, to run on to. Miofsky's hold-up play um, in the last year has transformed. Um, he's he's very good and very adept in that role now. But yeah, like I think like you guys are saying, the, the crucial thing is that if we're going to play Miofsky up front on his own, perhaps with the view of 60, 70 minutes taking Duke on and he can continue doing that role. And, you know, Duke showed that it's something he can do. Like, I thought he did it pretty well um, against Pauk in Greece uh, for the time that he was on and some fresh legs against the Rangers defence could be a, a very useful thing. But again, you need to have, whether it be at your wing backs, if that's uh, Devlin and McKenzie or whoever it may be, and then your McGraths and your Polvaras getting up close to Miofsky to support him. If it's going to be a game like Celtic Park where Miofsky is just chasing shadows and visibly getting frustrated, then it's not going to go well for him and it's also not going to go well for Bayer Robson because the Aberdeen fans and Dodger are absolutely not going to tolerate that kind of shit so uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see how he approaches it I guess the one thing I now think about is that Robson is clearly a fan of resorting to, to type when things have been successful and it was a 4 or 5 one, five four one kind of setup that led to that 3-1 victory at Ibrox so now I think about it yeah 5 four, one. That's that's the way we'll go with it we really do need a reaction, though, don't we? After that howling performance against Celtic. Uh, and it set us up for that visit to Helsinki. It's, it's an interesting one, the trip to Finland now, because to all intents and purposes, for, for both sides, it's a dead rubber. But there's a large Aberdeen support travelling to Finland. We've sold out the away end there. Um, there. There does kind of become, I think, there an expectation or a requirement for the team to go out there and try to do something. But we do. We need a reaction, don't we, to that to that performance against Celtic. If nothing else, just to try and get the league campaign to get back on track, <laughs> brother. I am definitely not going to Helsinki to stand in minus four temperatures to watch Ordadia make his Aberdeen debut. As oh well. yes, you or, are. Or would or would I? Maybe I would actually. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I would rather that he didn't uh, take anything other than a full blooded approach to that particular game. Thank you very much, Barry. Um, yeah, as far as the reaction, absolutely. Um, it's been it's been such a mixed bag of a season where the, you have those games like Celtic where you just think this team just don't look up for the fight. And then there's games like 
like Rangers at Ibrox earlier in the season or Hibs when we went down to 10 men or Pauk in Greece where you think there's real character in this team um, this will just be another test to see what exactly we have in that dressing room and you know just what Graham said again if we just need to get some momentum some positivity back in the team to lead us to that vital cup final oh, in the middle of December also which cannot be overstated the absolute seethe and greeting that will come from Chris Boyd if we can turn them over. And that, Lee McCulloch. If that's not... Oh, yeah, a couple of fucking morons. If that's not enough, then I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is kind of... It is one of these where you're like, shall we just live up to the stereotype here? Yes. Because that would be really kind of fucking amusing, if nothing Long else. Long ball and get the points. Um, There we go, then. Let, let's, let's wrap up the preview here, then, gents. Um, predictions for... Aberdeen against the Rangers next Sunday, live on Sky Sports. Graham. 2-1. Kel Roos to save a Tavernier penalty in the 90th oh. minute. Oh, Graham. You're making me moist. <laughs> uh, ditto. 2-1. Aberdeen. With Kel Roos saving a Tavernier penalty in the 90th minute. Well, um, Scoring let, a, good, let, a 90th minute winner. <laughs> let me elaborate. Um, Rangers have more of possession. Rangers will win a penalty through a VAR check. That will be highly questionable. <laughs> Kel Roos will dive the wrong way. Tavernier will make it 1-0. And then we'll bring it back to 2-1. Goals from Jamie McGrath and Dante Polvara. Oh, lovely stuff. Jamie, Can you the, say the, if a VAR check? They've just loaded in a tape of a previous game. <laughs> well, yeah, penalty. But I don't think that's Aberdeen. Penalty, it's fine. Uh, a highly doctored uh, video of a certain tackle at Bataudry that happened yeah, in the penalty area. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, um, the Dalek Povara redemption arc then, Gav, hits peak. Dante's peak. Yeah, absolutely. Although, obviously, this will happen before the hour mark. Okay. Because yes. he can't last more than 60 minutes. Uh, well. The 60-minute man. Not for, not for you to say. Maybe we need a blue... Maybe we need a blue shoe advertisement. Anyway, um... That's how you know you've made it as a podcast. Oh, we've done that already. We did Manscaped. We're, we're there. <laughs> already. It's fine. Um, when we had to talk about shaving our balls. Lovely stuff. Um, remember how we left that for you to record? Yes, we did, didn't we? It was great. Thanks, boys. Thanks very much. Jacob Brown is rubbish, isn't he? <laughs> He's not very good. Are we playing him? Is, is he a guy who could play for England? And we thought we'd better play him in case he gets called up by England. I think he is English. From the commentary pre-match it, it almost sounds yeah, like he's the guy like that Mick always Beal. turns up for training and this oh, time they're nice. like okay you've turned up every training session um, there you go son yeah here's your participation trophy that yeah. being said he's got one more Scotland cap than I've got this is, there's still time Graham there's still time mate <laughs> for him to get more <laughs> <laughs> oh did you guys enjoy though um, it's, it's a bit odd but um Graham Alexander deciding that Ash Taylor was a good play for Bradford City yesterday on the live game on Sky Sports and they were 4-0 down at halftime and Ash got hooked. I think what's wilder is that someone decided to employ Graham Alexander again. I completely agree. Graham, another guy who appeared on the Football Clichés podcast this week is the stereotypical right back and he says some funny things in interviews as it turns out so I'd encourage anybody to go and listen to that after you've finished listening to this, obviously. Anyway, uh, my prediction... Aberdeen 3, Sevco 2. Role reversal from the game of December. Sevco 2 went up going to extra injury time and somehow we turn it around. And Danny Pulvara last 90 minutes. I'll take that too. Take that. Right. That do us? Yes, thanks. Yes.
lovely stuff. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Doan Co on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Enjoy freshly topped donuts, coffee, milkshakes, soup, pies, bagels and much, much more available every day of the week. Come along and enjoy their daily deals such as black coffee and a mini donut for just £1 or a bagel and a soft drink for only a fiver. Join the guys seven days a week on Belmont Street between 8 and 8 and available 24-7 at yourdonutshop.com. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we move on to part two of our interview with Big Joe Lewis, I want just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund, including this week, Laura and Will. Thank you so much. I think that might have been more a birthday gift, but never mind. We'll take it. Big thank you to the Milne Gavi crew. Yes, exactly. The Milne Gavi crew. Thank you, Gavin. Uh, we see you. We, appre- we acknowledge you. We appreciate you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or co- coffee, Head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast links in the description. It is much appreciated. Now, on to the latest installment of our exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This week, part two of our chat with the man who joined Aberdeen on a free transfer in the summer of 2016. Going on to make 271 appearances for the Don's, becoming club captain in the summer of 2019. Gavin, where did we leave it off with Joe last time? Because I've not listened back to where you cut it. So we left it off with Joe uh, suffering the leg break, I believe, against Rangers, if I'm not mistaken. So we come, we come back with a, another cup final defeat to, you guessed it, Celtic. And then Joe gets into the, uh, the point of his history that I'm most interested in almost, the Stephen Glass, Jim Goodwin eras. Lovely stuff. Here's Joe Lewis. The following season, Thomas Cherney joins up with the club as number two. Um, and it always seemed on the outside anyway that yourself and Thomas had a really great relationship. Um, how important is that in the club that, you know, everyone will talk about goalkeepers have a special bond anyway, but how important do you think it is that the goalkeeping community within a club has that, that, that relationship? I've always, I think 99% of goalkeepers get on. You understand the position, you understand the the difficulties of the, of the position. So you always tend to get on. Me and Thomas got on great. Um, Thomas never one, you know, I think he's you know he's still living in the area and he's um he's embraced living in, in the city as well. And yeah, Thomas so, so helpful, so helpful. And I think that was credit to Gordon Marshall as well. Um possibly the thoughts, you know, you don't you, Thomas bringing Thomas in someone who isn't gonna um upset the the route, the, the sort of the squad and the and the group that we had, uh goalkeeping group anyway. Um, you know, Thomas understood that he, what he was coming into at the time would have been as a, as a second choice, um, and obviously would have been hoping to get in the team at some stage. But um, but yeah, he he played that brilliantly. He was really helpful to me. Really sound bit of advice. Um, had some good experience, and just a really good training partner as well. That following season gets off to a pretty spectacular start because we have that battle of Britain tie in the Europa League between uh, the Dons and Burnley. In terms of atmospheres, that one at Pataudry and also the backing that there was in Lancashire for the return leg, that must have been right up there as well, I think, for, for you guys. Again, another highlight probably of my, of looking back, one of the, the, be- the better moments. I remember driving into, I mean, the atmosphere at home was great. It was fantastic, in fact. Um, 
because obviously the first, sometimes the first leg, you got playing team from a long way away, they always bring a, a big, loud support, but they did. Um, good game. Um, I think we disappointed not to actually win that. They scored a, a late on, I think it was Sam Voke scored a volley. Yeah. Uh, fairly late on, which is disappointing. And then we went there. I remember driving in, it was a hot day. And we drove past the cricket ground and just looked over and just seeing the field was just full of Aberdeen supporters. And they were well on their way then, a lot of them singing and, you know, having a great time. And just from the warm-up, like I walked up for the warm-up, I was like, wow, this, they're out very early. Like the noise, the atmosphere was fantastic. Um, and then just for 90, well, 120 minutes, just belting out songs. The, the players fed off that um, and we took it to, to extra time. And after extra time, it looked like a comfortable win for them. But actually, I spoke to a few people um, from their side since then and they they, they remember it as, as well as we do um, being, a, being a top a top game. So, um, and yeah, the atmosphere um, for like 120 minutes from our supporters. I think a lot of supporters um, remember that, that tie, that tie well. Yeah, we end up being really unlucky, I think, over the two legs in that one. Um, as an Englishman, obviously yourself, did you think that perhaps we were able to at least shut up some of the pundits from down south who like to always try and put down the Scottish League? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's ignorance, I think, a little bit from from a lot of people. Is it that, do they think that really? I don't know if they do or they just like to say it on social media and to to spark a reaction I think that's probably more attention seeking from these people rather than actually if they actually watched some games and uh, and had any knowledge of it then obviously they would think differently about it but I think it's a lot of it is that sort of thing is trying to sort of self-promotion trying to cause a bit of clickbait and that thing Managed to make another League Cup final that season. Now, a 1-0 win at um, Hamden against Rangers in the semi-final, thanks to Lewis Ferguson's goal. Sees us through. It's Celtic again, um, waiting for in the final. And um, we lose a late goal in the first half when Ryan Christie scores. And then there's that mad moment in the second half where Celtic get that penalty kick for Dombo uh, handling the ball about 70 yards outside the box. Yeah. Um, thankfully, you managed to save that penalty from from Scott Sinclair, but it's not to be, unfortunately. Um, you guys must have been sick of the sight of Celtic at this point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that penalty might have just been brought back these days. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I was sort of, I smothered it rather than saved it. Um, but no, yeah, it was, um, it was absolute injustice, the penalty. Um, so I think... Um, the referee, who was the referee? Uh, Andrew Dallas. I think it was Andrew Dallas, yeah. Dallas, yeah. That's, that's enough said on that one. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he was probably relieved to see me save it himself. So I think he wouldn't have had the brass neck to um, to pull it back for me coming off my line at least. So, um, but yeah, it was it was just they were really the good, they're a really good team, and you hope that on that on, on the days that you play them. They weren't quite at it, and we we would be, and yeah, we were close quite a lot. Um, obviously, when you play uh, very good teams, you have to take your chances, and I think at the moment, the times we did play them, um, the only time you get results is when you take your big chances. Um, I say the the first, the 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 famous sort of Tom Rogic one, I suppose, is uh, the, the big chance at one um, one, I think. Uh, we didn't take, and then yeah, you just have to take your chances. Obviously, Ryan Christie uh, popped up to to haunt us um, in in that moment as well. So, 
Um, yeah, just yeah, sick of him by this stage, I think. Uh, and yeah, Brownie, Brownie, who actually ended up joining us, was really starting to grate on me, to be honest. <laughs> we'll come on to when he comes in Aberdeen in a minute or two. But um, in that close season, obviously, Graeme Shinney departs with Derby. You sign a new contract extension as well, and then you're appointed club captain as well. Um, when did manager kind of give you an indication that he was thinking about giving you the armband? And again, on a personal level, that must have been a really proud moment to have been given that honour. Yeah, it was uh, hugely, hugely proud. I think the manager always had in his mind. I think that that I was a, an option for him. I think he he had one or two other people he was thinking about as well. Um, but I just signed my, my long term contract, so I think you know it was something. But I, I don't I don't feel like maybe I was his probably first choice in terms of. Um, I think he would have rather had an outfield player. I think he actually said that um, in terms of being able to influence the game more from from outfield um but um yeah i was enormously proud to to be captain named captain of the of the club and yeah it's something you know you you look at and i think a lot of it is yeah you play well but i think that sort of says a lot about what you do off the pitch as well and and that sort of i don't know a bit of um appreciation of what you what you're doing off the pitch is is nice as well because that's a massive part of it as well, isn't it, being club captain? It's not just about what happens on a Saturday afternoon, it's about everything else that goes around it. Yeah, and when you're a captain of a club, I think in Water in Aberdeen, you you get you have to do a lot off the pitch, you know, there's a lot of stuff to, to, to be doing. Um so uh yeah, it, it yeah, it was I mean I did a lot of that stuff anyway. So um and tried to be a leader in the change room and uh and that sort of thing. But um but yeah, it was like I say a hugely proud moment, and when you realise the people who have done it before you and what they've achieved, it's um, to be amongst that group was was great. That season, of course, sees COVID hitting just after the turn of the year, and the league is abandoned after thirty games for us. I mean, it was a mad time for everybody at, at that stage. But I mean, what was it like for you guys? You know, because it just seemed so strange. Obviously, just firstly the concept of the game just shutting down completely. And then the following season, then when it kicks off, but the entire season is played behind closed doors. I think we had one trial game against Kamarnik, there was maybe three hundred in it. But that must have been really weird. Yeah, it was. It was. I remember the day it was mother went away. We were down at the Westerwood Hotel, about to go for our pre-match meal. Stayed the night before we went pre-match meal, and then we we're just like, oh, the game's off. Like you know, it's just it was weird. It was like, mate, go home, lads. Hopefully, we'll be back in a couple of weeks back going again and it was you know obviously a long time after that but yeah playing in front of it you know, I hated it uh, you know it was it felt really difficult you knew that you knew the importance of the games but actually when you're there it didn't feel the games didn't feel important uh, because no one was there you felt like you were playing a pre-season friendly or you were down the park um, and I really you know, didn't, I didn't enjoy the games at all they didn't struggle to to motivate myself a little bit, uh, try to keep you know your concentration levels as a goalkeeper. You know when you know you've got eyes on you and you and you're more engrossed in the game and there's lots of noise and things surrounding it. Uh, there's lots of noise around it. Then um, then it helps you focus. And it was something completely different, which I just was bizarre. I don't think anyone enjoyed playing them games. Really, you had to go back. It was it's what it was. You know, you, you you you've got your job and you've got to do it. And your your job is to at that time, give supporters some some sort of something to go back and focus on. Obviously, not physically there, but to watch on telly and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it was it was mad. I didn't I didn't enjoy them at all in games. 
Yeah, and there was that whole situation because we had like obviously the the plum tie with Sporting in the in the Europa League and missing out on the experience again to play there in front of a a, a big crowd etc. I must have been really galling as well at that point, you know. Yeah, we got there like the day before. Obviously, you train at the the stadium the, the night before. Got there just looking around, thinking this is an incredible stadium. Like, but it's just going to be like this tomorrow. <laughs> uh, normally, you get there, you have a look around, you sort of picture it, you picture the noise and. Just look, looks around. You think, what a shame! Like you just, I thought, what the supporters would absolutely love to have been there. Um, you know, you can imagine like Sporting has been away. That's like dream stuff for the for the a lot of the supporters that hadn't experienced something like that before. Um, obviously, the club has experienced incredible um, European times, um, but you know, the younger supporters that hadn't had the opportunity to go somewhere like that and. In, in that sort of stadium, um, it was such a shame. And again, you know, we actually, I think it was 1-0. Um, we, uh, we played quite well. We did, yeah. did all right. Um, but I always felt like they were in sort of second gear. And it was a very slow, again, that game was such a slow tempo. One stage, uh, I think it was Quartes, the centre-back, he had the ball at his feet. They were played such slow tempo anyway. And then it was bang, bang, bang. But I felt, I thought that was the referee blowing his whistle. Or something. The game sort of stopped, the support, there was no, no one in the crowd. I felt like, like it was almost like a training game where the manager stopped playing. Like it was that slow. And and yeah, it was just, again, no real shame that COVID um, it came along and denied the supporters and the players that, 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 uh, that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. There's that run that comes then that season, the January through to March, where I think we score, I think it's only three goals in 11 games, two wins in 10, ultimately after the 0-0 draw with Hamilton at Pataudry, um, a couple of days after that, it's confirmed that Derek and Tony had been relieved of their, their duties. As a squad, and again, it must have been weird at this point because it's in, it's in front of like nobody when this is happening, but was there a feeling in the squad coming through that the manager was starting to become under pressure at that point? And, was it a surprise when the decision came through that he would be who would be leaving? Um, you, you could feel it. You could feel that it was the pressure was building, and that um, ultimately you can't carry on the way we were going. Um, but yeah, it was they're the worst times for me as a, as a player. That's the worst time uh, of of any any season or any, you know, of a football career is when your manager gets sacked. Um, you know, if they leave because they've done well, great. You know, because of the feeling around the place is good anyway because you've been winning games. But not only is the the mood in their camp pretty low because you've been losing games, and the manager leaves, and it's never nice because I didn't enjoy it. So I I had so much respect for Derek. I have so much respect for Derek, and and what he did for my career. Um, but you, you always have one or two players as well that um, aren't playing, and when a team aren't doing well, is it's they're almost happy mm-hmm. to see the manager come in and that's natural that happens at every club um but it's never nice to sort of see that as well um the, the not that's, that's just a not very nice side of of football that people lose their jobs and that's part of it and you have to deal with it but it's the, the least uh yeah enjoyable part of being a footballer is when the manager gets sacked and you just feel especially when you've been playing and you feel responsible mm-hmm. um i certainly did um and yeah, Derek, and what Derek had done my, for my career, and I just felt like I hadn't um not I hadn't given I'd given hundred percent, you know, but I just felt like I could have done could have done more. You always look back and what could you have could you have done, little moments here and there, could you have spoke to people or whatever, you know, just to try and help someone 
uh, out who'd done so much for me. For you as well, though, you're you know club captain at this point as well. I mean, what what do you have to try and do, you know, to to, to do with the squad just to try and get through this kind of challenging period? Yeah, you feel like a lot of people look at look towards you as well. I think as captain and a senior member of a, of a squad, um, you know, it feels like a lifetime ago, really. But um, yeah, it's uh, it is difficult because um, I think Paul Shearer had taken over. I think, and uh, it's very difficult for him as well because you know he had a, had a lot with Derek and been through a lot, and he actually got us trying to play a you know a total football playing style style player. I'm trying to remember who our first game was St Johnston away. Uh United away. United, United away. Uh, yeah, Dundee United away, yeah, on a horrendous pitch. Yeah. I think I think actually St Johnston away might have been his peanuts last game in charge. Yeah, it was because I think and we really cut a cup game away. Dunbarton in the cup for St Johnston then, yeah. Yeah. Dumbarton. Dumbarton, yeah. yeah. Um so Dumbarton was a dry, sticky pitch. United away with a horrendous pitch. St Johnston though, so Peanuts trying to play this, you know, attractive build of build from the back, which is great, and it, but it's just high risk on that on them sort of pitches, especially. Um, so it's difficult, difficult for him. He's trying to implement what, and try and show what he can do as a, as a coach, and um, in really difficult situation for him, and and Barry, I think was, was would have been involved as well there. Um, so yeah, again, horrible horrible situations, and you just have to try and yeah try and navigate through it the best you can. Yeah, we just touched on it. Paul Sheeran takes charge for three interim games. It, then it's announced that Stephen Glass would be joining the club as manager. He takes charge of the Scottish Cup Tigers Livingston for the first time. When Stephen came in, like, what was your initial impressions of him as a, a coach, manager? You know, did he kind of seek you out for your input when he first came in as well as as club captain? Um, I just when Stephen came in, like he gave us this presentation and on the way he wants to play. It was fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant, and you can see. Um, why David gave him the job. He was impressive. Um it didn't, you know, it didn't work. It didn't work for, for, for Stephen for a number of reasons. It was very difficult. Um you know it's it hard for a number of reasons. I can't even can't even really it was all a bit of a blur that's that period because obviously we'd been for a bad spell with Derek and then things hadn't really turned around. There was a brief spell when we did I think the start of the following season. We started quite well for a couple of games. Um, and then it didn't, didn't go well for the team or for myself, really. Um, so it was, I found myself, yeah, battling a little bit with my own performances from then, um, and just disrupted the rhythm of, of a lot of things, um, for me. And yeah, just found it really difficult to get going again. And, and through no fault of Stevens, my own fault, really. Um, looking at it, obviously, um, Adam Russell came in with him, um, Brownie then came in. Um, and Brandon was great, absolutely brilliant. And I think in a different scenario, he would have been fantastic for the for the team, for the group. <clears throat> but obviously, he was um, with Stephen in, in in a group. It, it just didn't work. I just want to touch on with Scott Brandon really quickly, if that's all right. Because obviously, when when he joins, it's, it's probably the most eye catching slash surprising of the summer acquisitions that happened that season was with Scott Brown coming in. Obviously, as you touched on, he came in as part of the coaching team, but was also going to be playing. And then there was this really odd situation where you were kept as the overall club captain, but Scott took the captain's armband on the pitch. How did that kind of come about? And like, were you okay with that? Like on a on a personal level? Um, it's a difficult one, really, because I mean, I could see the reasoning behind it. Um, Brownie wasn't added; didn't 
really want to take it, I don't think, in terms of he didn't want to come in and be a player, be a coach, be the captain and sort of feel like he's sort of taken over a little bit. <clears throat> I did understand that um, what captain he was and what the sort of guy he was, he was a brilliant leader. So um, if I was in the same position as a manager, I, try, I always try and put myself in their situation, their shoes. And I think maybe would I have made that decision? Possibly, yeah. Um, and you got Scott Brown there, uh, who has, you know, done what he's done in his career. Um, yeah, it didn't work out, but I don't think it was because he changed the captaincy. Um, I don't think taking the captaincy off me uh, was the reason for a dip in form from my point of view. Um, but it was just, you know, a, a completely, a, a sequence of events that was completely upsetting what had been built. Um, and yeah, it's just, that's football. You know, you, you have to be able to adapt to things. You have to be able to deal with them sort of things. And, uh, you know, as a, as a football club at the time, we, we weren't really dealing with them. It was a really kind of weird period after the, we had that initial decent start to the season. There was the, the game against Hecken, you know, the 5-1 home win. And yeah. like the first couple of league games, we start well. We, we, we beat United at home. Uh, we win at Livingston. And then things just kind of start to, to go wrong. But it felt like a lot of the time as well, we were really unlucky a lot of the time because we dominate games from a possession perspective, like ridiculously so. And then the other team would end up with like one shot in the game and it would end up in the net. And often it was something that you couldn't do very much about. There was a lot of times worldies were getting put past you. Because I remember at one point talking, we'd, we'd started the podcast at the time and I remember pulling up a statistic, I think, which was like your save percentage rate that season or something daft. And it was like, like really low but I remember being like if you put that game into context and you look at the goal it's just like it's ridiculous like how frustrating was that as a goalkeeper you just you almost have nothing to do all game yeah that was yeah you know, I, you know I look back at my my Aberdeen career it was so so much fondness but that period you know it was so disappointing um I I was aware as, as aware of the the stats and the how you know when people say you know one shot one goal or two shots two goals I'm thinking yeah, there was the odd goal I could them more well. Yeah, there was goals I could them more about, but there was certainly games where that was happening and I couldn't. Um, and I just felt like that was a period where anything that could go against us yeah, and it against was. me, I felt you know I was almost feeling sorry for myself a little bit as well, which obviously wasn't wasn't uh, healthy. But um, I felt like I was being unlucky. I felt like the team was being really unlucky. I felt like every referee decision was going against us. Every moment it could was going against us. Um, I'm sure Stephen Glass felt exactly the same, um, and you know, Dave and the, the 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 people in charge at the club as well probably were thinking, "What have we done to deserve this?" But um, okay, and that's football, and you know, you make your own luck in in football. I'm a strong believer of that, and I don't. Yeah, maybe in in a short period you can be unlucky. But, you know, you know, even in up to six months you can be unlucky, but. For longer than that, it's not luck. It's uh, something you can do about it, definitely. And um, yeah, there's, there's, I was more than aware of the stats. That, and and I actually sort of, yeah, it, it, as much as I felt like there was something they could do it about it, where yeah, we actually analysed performances with with Marshy and and latterly with with Sammy when he came in, um, I just sort of found myself, you know, getting technical with your goalkeeping. Any goalkeepers listening might. Um, be interested to the others. Others might not, but just getting too close to the ball and um, not giving myself time to make saves. 
I think when you things start going past you, maybe I've lost a bit of confidence. I'd maybe get dragged towards the ball, trying to make blocks rather than back myself to make the saves. And then things fly past you before you have the chance to react. So you've got into that sort of habit. Uh, and by doing that, you're not making saves. By not making saves, you lose confidence. By losing confidence, you start getting drawn towards the ball. And it's a bit, it sort of spiraled a bit um, until you get it brought to your attention and you can try and fix it. Um, and then by that time, you've got to try and fix your confidence issues as well. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, I felt definitely towards the back end of my career at Aberdeen. Uh, confidence was definitely an issue because I I got dragged into that sort of spiral that I just sort of spoke to you about. And then obviously, if a team's doing well, sometimes you can your mistakes get masked over, and mm. you can your confidence doesn't get get quite affected as affected. But when the team's not playing or scoring goals and not playing as well, any mistake you make gets highlighted um, to yourself and to everyone else. And um, yeah, I've certainly. You know, I'd made mistakes in games previously uh, earlier in my career. I, I can't even remember because, I, you know, I, I feel like my first three seasons at Aberdeen, I didn't make a mistake. Yeah. I felt like I didn't actually, I felt that confident and I felt like I literally, I can't remember a single mistake. The Motherwell game at Fair Park with the three goals was my first bad game. felt like, but there, were, there would have been mistakes because the team was doing well and we, we were scoring goals and maybe it marks over. Didn't affect my confidence, didn't affect the results, didn't affect anything. I mean, you, you get on with it, but obviously towards the end, you, your confidence gets affected, your results are, are being impacted as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it just felt like it sort of, it runs away with you a little bit. Yeah, I remember us talking about it a lot at the time, just about how data, data is, you know, can be great sometimes, but I remember at that point, just being like, that that during that period there, it's been like, that's where data just doesn't tell you the full story at all as to what's happening, because you need to watch a game of football and understand exactly what's happening in terms of how those data points are coming out. We just touched on it there as well. I mean, obviously the pressure's then building at this point big time. There's that Scottish Cup defeat at Fir Park that ultimately sees um, Stephen Glass dismissed after that one. And the atmosphere at Fir Park that afternoon was was pretty brutal. And I remember that the team had to come up through the up the stand, um, up past the away support. We had a game at Fir Park just before that, I think. Not far. I think there was an incident with Fergie. It was the same game. So the same game because yeah. I, I don't think that when Stephen Glass got sacked, I wasn't there. That's right. Yeah, because that's when Samson came in. Yeah, I had COVID. That's right. Started to feel better by that stage, but it's just still testing positive at the time when you had to test and, and, and get out. So I wasn't feeling um, good enough to do it, to travel down, and I wasn't able to um, with, the, with the rules in place. But yeah, no, I remember that. And you know, I watched it on Red TV. And obviously, the conditions were horrendous as well, yeah. I think. Um, and uh, yeah, that wasn't nice. It wasn't. Stephen Glass is one of the nicest guys you'll come across. Um, such a top guy, and uh, you just—I just felt really bad for him as well because, um, as much as you know, he hadn't done a good job in terms of results, and results hadn't gone our way. Um, there's a human element to it as well, where he didn't wish that on anyone. You know, he he had um, he dropped me for a for a period of games um, for Woodsy. And uh, but there's a human element, you know. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Having to walk through that, and supporters have got, a, you know, can can do and say what they want. They pay their money, but there's sort of probably a bit of a line there. I think that maybe one or two people crossed. Um, you know, look, looking to physically get at the players and the no one in that moment. And I don't care what anyone says. No, no player, very well, not one that I've played with or. 
or no, is is down tools knowingly. There's confidence stuff that goes on that you can look at a team and think, yeah, they're down tools. They're not trying for the manager. They're not working hard enough. It's just not the case. Yeah. Maybe not working hard, but you, the players don't feel like they're not working hard enough. They're still trying as hard as they were when they're kind of confidence. But a, one player flying with confidence and one player with no confidence, the same player with no confidence is unrecognisable. Um, and it can, it comes across and it looks like not trying or down tools or don't care. It's just not the case. It never is. Not in the, not with any player I've ever played with. Uh, maybe it is a, a higher level of, when players do just completely sack it off. I don't know, but I, whenever I hear people say they've, they're not playing for their manager or they, they've, they've chucked it or um, they don't, players don't care. Every, they, they all care. They all care. Um, it looks like they don't sometimes and it's almost impossible to explain why some performances happen and some, you know, why the, the, the levels can be up there and then down there the, the next week. It's more to do with a player's confidence or other things apart from caring and wanting to win. Stephen Glass departs, Jim Goodwin's brought in. Um, pretty much straight away, is it probably fair to say, he started to look to stamp his own authority on things pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, he came in, he told a lot of lads that they weren't part of his plans. And I think if you asked, if you were to speak to Jim, he would openly say that was probably a mistake because um, there's a couple of lads out of contract that were told they weren't in his plans. Uh, and then that can become a bit of a toxic environment as well. Whereas if, if unless you tell them to stay at home and stay away from the squad that you want to build with, one or two lads did become a bit toxic. Again, maybe not meaning to, looking at themselves, maybe making um, their pride is dented. And they're maybe making excuses and not taking responsibility for what um for their their role in it. <clears throat> but you know, it was uh he was very honest. You know, Jim Goodwin is one of the most honest uh, managers I've played under. He just tells you exactly what he what he thinks. And you know, it's it was quite refreshing to hear that. But at the same token, I was thinking, um, why the, the other not all managers do this, and there's maybe a reason why they don't, because of that exact reason. But he said it as from a player's point of view, when he was playing, if a manager was open and honest with you, you'd get more out of him. Well, I think he, uh, there was one or two lads at the club that he overestimated their um, maybe honesty or their, uh, I don't know what the word is, but um, they, they weren't. It's kind of a maturity thing almost, isn't it? To just... Maybe, yeah, they weren't mature, about, uh, mature enough about it or they weren't, yeah, didn't take responsibility for their own stuff and, and they went to rather rather try and make make Jim look worse and make it look like it was it was him who didn't know what he was doing rather than um, them that hadn't performed. Um, so that made it very difficult for him from the start. Um, but he had the summer, he had a bit of a clear out and then we brought in you know, loads of new players. And that in itself is difficult because I don't know, normally you get 75% of your signs if you've done well will work. 25% won't. Well, if you've signed four players and three work and one doesn't, that's not a problem. But if you sign yeah. 12 then that, that does become a problem. Um, but I think we are, well, I feel like from the outside now looking at it, we are getting it right in mm. terms of recruitment. Um, it's a bit more of a process rather than like, oh, Jets played well against us, they're signing. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, you know, that that looking at that side of, side of things, that's so important. And I think the club are really investing in that now financially yeah. because they know how much it can cost them if they get it wrong. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, 
And I think they're sort of reaping a few benefits. And I mean, look at Bojan at the moment, he's absolutely on fire. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been lots of others, Ramadani, and yeah, there'll, be, there'll be more coming through this season as well that are excellent signs and people have unearthed them from I don't know where. So um, there's, there's some credit needs to go, I think, to Stephen Gunn uh, from that side of things and from, from what he's, you know, trying to uh, build there because it's, it's not a short-term thing, it's a long-term process. No, absolutely. I just want to touch really quickly back on one thing from from just when Jim came in initially as well, because in the run up to I think it was a defeat by Ross County. That's when the Andy Constantine stuff kind of came out about how Andy wasn't going to be offered a new deal. There's a lot of, I guess at the time it almost felt like unedifying airing of dirty laundry in the press. It seemed at the time around that. Mm-hmm. Again, does that have much? Does that have an impact in the dress room and all that sort of stuff's going on? Just even because Andy's obviously was such a a stalwart of the club and he'd been there for so long. Yeah, I, I think if you go back, I think both sides would handle that completely differently. Um, I think, I don't think, I don't think the club handled it particularly well. Um, I think probably they would admit that themselves as well. It was very awkward because you knew what Andy was at the club and, and as a guy, you know, just, just everything you want from, from a professional player, hard work and getting the best out of his ability um, dependable certainly as a goalkeeper I love playing behind Andy Constantine because you knew what you're getting um, and someone who gave everything for the for the shirt uh, to see him go the way he did was was sad um, and I don't think he deserved that um, I don't know if it was a breakdown in communication it normally is in that in them situations um, people trying to win in a situation or have a last I don't know what I don't know what it was it didn't it there's, there must be more. I don't know the full story to it. There must be more to it than I know because it just none of it made sense. Just touched on it. Start last season. There's that big turnover of players, um, and this is the kind of first example of Aberdeen's kind of newfound strategy when it comes to transfer dealings as well. Because we started to explore markets that we'd never really looked at previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember exactly how many players came in last season. It was maybe eleven or twelve, I think, in the close season. Um, two quick questions on that. First of all, just. Like Derek had adopted a policy, I think, as as a manager, but he liked to have a core of effectively British players in the dressing room. He, he clearly liked that, or British and Irish players in the dressing room. Yeah. Was it a bit of a kind of weird culture shift last season when there was just a whole bunch of guys arriving now from all over the place? And how easy was that to integrate everybody into that in that dressing room as quickly as we did? Yeah, I don't think you realise at the time. In real time, you don't you don't notice it. Um, the lads, yes. They all spoke English. So, um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. I really enjoyed sort of getting to know the, the lads from different cultures and um, freshened things up a little bit from my point of view. Just, you know, I mean, it was a season um, where I wasn't playing a lot. So I was, you know, my the dressing room banter was my, what was keeping me going, you know. So, um, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I mean, I, there's... They're all good lads that joined uh, and by all accounts that have joined since. I think it's important in the club are clearly doing their character referencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a huge part of it. You can't just sign people based on stats when they get here. But also what, what is is important is you do have a core of, when I say core, it only needs to be three or four lads that are keeping everyone in check, which I felt like I was part of that. Johnny definitely was. Shinny. Um, you, know, there's a, there's a, you, you just need some senior lads that are keeping things, the rules in place, making sure that if you do see anything that does start to creep away from it, you nip it in the bud early. Um, because 
um uh yeah it can it can it can get away if away from you a little bit the change room if you if you allow it to at times so um yeah that you still you still have a core of of them important leaders in the group um and i tried to be one even when i wasn't playing one of the guys that joins last summer is obviously Kelly, who comes in from Derby County. Um, what was the conversation like with, with, with Jim Gooden about that, about Kel coming into this campaign? You know, was it, had he made it clear that he viewed Kel as being his number one, or was it going to be a case of seeing what happened through preseason, et cetera? How did that kind of come around? Again, very honest with me. Said, I'm bringing a goalie in. Um, there was a few mentions, not to me in, in that conversation, but, you know, it rumoured. Um, and he said, look, I'm bringing him in and I'll play the keeper that I think is, is going to give us the best results. He said that basically, you know, for, for him to get a decent goalkeeper in, they're probably going to start the season. He said, but if I don't play well and I feel like you'll do a better job, we'll go back in. Now, Cal came, got loads of time for Cal, got, you know, me and Cal got on really well. Um, and, um, and yeah, he stayed, he stayed in, in the sticks and, and that was the com- way the conversation went, really. He was very straightforward with Jim and, I, and I've got a lot of respect for Jim for that because um, it'd been easy for him to put his foot around. And, but I think he I think he appreciated how I'd been um, and appreciated l- latterly how I was with, with, with him because I respected his, his honesty towards me and uh, I, I did my best for, for the club mm-hmm. um, after that. Obviously, Kale gets that injury in the League Cup semi-final. Um, Hamden last last January I think it was we came back after the winter break after the World Cup break didn't we and, and I think there had been some chat at the time of, that perhaps there might have been a possibility for you to depart the club in that January maybe and that also got put on ice when Kel got injured and yeah. everything happened there that's a hell of a time for you have to come back in the side as well though isn't it I mean the team's in the midst of a hellish run and you come in for that run of fixtures that sort of Tencastle yeah. Darvel and Easter Road I mean, um, yeah that's almost like I don't know, when I when I spoke to you about, earlier about you know you feel like unlucky at times. That is one time I, I feel like um, yeah. Cheers, thanks for chucking me into that, that, that one um, because I, I didn't again. I, I didn't feel like it was a great deal. I could have done more, you know. The the hearts five nil, you know, and then I don't know. I'm sure it's probably, that was probably my best result of the three. <laughs> um, you know, it's. I always still feel, but you know, it's. You, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. It was honestly a run of games. I just thought, like, what have I done to deserve this? Um, really did feel a bit sorry for myself and a bit, um, you know, couldn't have felt lower after that run because he darvel away. That will, that will, that's in the history books now. That one, um, and I'm got my name on the team sheet for that. Um, again, I didn't play. Didn't have anything to do. Pick the ball up the net. Hearts didn't have anything to do. Pick the ball out five times. Hibs like not a chance for any of them. Didn't feel like it did anyway. Yeah, I think going back looking at them again, as much as it pains me, I have to go and do it. I think you're right on all of them. Yeah, I won't. I won't be doing it anyway. So <laughs> even if I am wrong, I'll never find out because I'm not going to be in games again. Um, but yeah, again, you just felt like that is that's the that's the that was the obviously the final nails in the coffin for. For Jim and I, and I felt bad for him. You know, he he did he didn't deserve that either, really. Although he's he's the manager, he's responsible for the team. But um, but yeah, it was just not a nice time. And I've actually not really thought about it that depth until now because it was you know you try and blank them sort of moments out from your from your memory because it was just 
you know, it's just horrible. What was it like around the, around the, 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 the group, especially after the Darvel game in particular? That's the one I think that really sticks out from those ones. Yeah, I think everyone was quite surprised he got the next game. Yeah. Wasn't the, 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 they didn't pull the trigger then. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just walking here. It was, everyone was shocked, shell shocked. And our waveform had been horrific, had been so bad. So um, it probably wasn't much of a shock as, as what it seemed because our waveform had been that bad. But um, yeah, it was just disbelief. And you're waiting for, again, that moment, again, which I said is the worst place time as a player for a manager to get sacked and you're waiting for it to happen. Didn't happen and went to the Hibs game. And you just felt like, okay, well, they're under pressure. We're under pressure. Let's see. Never expected that result um, as much as, again, our home, our waveform had been terrible. And um, we, we've been playing badly. You, again, you didn't expect that. But um, I think Scotty Scales, he got sent off towards the end as well, which which yeah. just summed things up for us. As you just touched on, Jim hangs on for one more game. It's the defeat at Easter Road. Um, you play in the following game, the 3-1 defeat at home at St. Mirren, and that ends up being your final game for the club. Um, on a personal level for you, just, I mean, how frustrating slash disappointing slash whatever word you want to use as a free that your kind of final four games for a club who you've ultimately had so many good memories and moments for ends up with, with on that sort of note from a playing perspective. Um, yeah, of course. Of course I would, I would love it to have been... And the other way around, you know, finish on a massive high, but you know, you, you can't control it. It's gone. That's happened. Whatever has happened, and that has happened. And I refuse to let that um, tarnish my memories of playing for Aberdeen Football Club. I had so many good memories and so many good times with the lads, with the supporters um, up there that, um, you know, I, I don't consider that uh, defining for me. And, yeah. you know, I absolutely love my time up there. You know, it was, enormously emotional time to leave um for me but um you know that's football you can't you know, people move on um and uh you know i'm absolutely well and truly an Aberdeen supporter now going forward you know Norwich in my second team <laughs> um and uh yeah you know i still get up as much as i can I do a bit of media work coming up so um i will always you know Aberdeen's my team now going forward you know, and my son's team um as well as man united but we try and <laughs> Tends like that, but that out of him, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just um, yeah, I won't, I won't let that um, you know define my what I think of of my career anyway at Aberdeen. Yeah, quite rightly. Let's just wrap things up here, then just really quickly, then then Joe. So I mean, obviously, Barry comes in between he the squad as a whole. We turn the season around remarkably, clinching that third spot, return to European football. I mean, just how enjoyable were those final few weeks, and in particular, I guess the night out after the win against St Mirren when the third place was secured. Yeah, that that was that was nice. That was nice to finish my career there. No, not playing, but just to be part of that. Um, again, you know, when you're winning games, you're on top of the world. And and you know, as much as I, I wasn't playing, I still felt a real big part of it because mm-hmm. I, I, I was working hard off the pitch to to try and help the team um, and to try and be a you know you don't feel quite as much part of it, but I tried to make sure that I, that he didn't show. Um, and and by doing that, I enjoyed it the whole thing more. Whereas I could have sulked or not even sulked, but just not felt part of it. Um, but you know, by being a you know good teammate and trying to help the squad away from the pitch, um, yeah, it was. I enjoyed it a lot more, and I think you know, uh, um, yeah, it was it was a fantastic time, and it was it was long overdue really because it had been felt like a long long time since we'd had that much feel-good factor around the club. Mm-hmm. 
obviously then in the summer after seven years 271 appearances for the Dons that puts you I think it's 45th on the all-time list and uh, fifth on the all-time goalkeeper list for the club 94 clean sheets your name during that spell um your time at Aberdeen does come to an end in the summer and I think one of the things that came out loudly um after you departed you know the club don't often put out you know eulogies in the way that they did about your 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 time at the club and I think there was a lot of stuff that would nobody outside of the club would have known about you know for example there was a lot of chat amongst a lot of the players um who were left about you know the work that yourself and and your wife did um as part of the club and and welcoming other you know new new squad members into the club and all that kind of good stuff as well um which again it's, it's the type of thing that goes unnoticed by a lot of supporters um going forward though now Joe you know what does your kind of future look like for for Joe Lewis now well, you know, I'm not, I'm not officially retired. You know, I'm still I'm training at the moment with um, and coaching with Macclesfield in Cheshire. So we're, that's on the doorstep. I've uh, they've just you know, Robbie Savage is, is in charge there, and he's head of foot, director of football, and Alex Bruce has just gone in there. Um, so he's asked me to go in, and, you know, um, help out there. So I'm coaching there, trying to keep myself fit, and if something comes up, I'm still open to it. You know, so I think I've you know I've, I've I can't say too much, but I've got one or two things. Hopefully, that might come come good in the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, just try and keep myself fit, keep them bit of coaching as well. Um, doing a bit of uh, coaching locally. Um, so I'm gonna, I've just set up a you know Joe Lewis goalkeeping uh, little plug there um, uh, in Cheshire. Unfortunately, um, you know, but I will be coming up to Aberdeen to to do a bit of that once that gets going. And, and if I do officially retire anytime soon, then I'll probably just jump into that and, and do a lot of coaching, uh, which I do enjoy. I don't really, I think, in, initially the private coaching locally and keeping it the hours determined by myself mm-hmm. and not being, um, I'm, I'm quite enjoying being away from a football club for, for a little period anyway, just to have control of my time and uh, spend plenty of time with, with the family and, and uh, that side of things I'm, I'm really enjoying. So, but if the right thing comes up, you know, I'm, I'm definitely open to it and I'm doing a bit of media work as well, which keeps me in, in touch with certainly uh, Aberdeen stuff um, as much as I can. And um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, every opportunity I get to come up to Aberdeen, I'll be taking. Good stuff, Joe. As I'm sure you are aware, you were rightly loved by the Aberdeen support during your time here. So I guess on behalf of everyone who supports Aberdeen, um, we would just like to thank you for your efforts during your time at the club. It was absolutely much appreciated when you were part of our club. Um, we'll finish up just one final question. It's the same one that we ask every single one of our guests. Um, so, Joe Lewis, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Um, it was a it was a new lease of life for me in in all respects, really footballing and and uh, somewhere where I, where I found um, a second home. So, uh, I've had a, a, one child was brought brought up there and uh, one born there. So, um, you know, it's a, definitely a second home for me. Joe Lewis, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the ABZ Football Podcast. We, we absolutely much appreciate it. Stand free. Thank you very much, Stand free. I highly enjoyed Joe digging out the recruitment team for the way they went about signing Jet. Yeah, I know. That was very funny. Yeah, very funny. And that there wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever you might do on your podcast player of choice join us next time for episode 137 of the show as we review the visit of Sevco to Pataudry and then we look ahead to our trip to Helsinki in the company of Ali Manson from the Escape to Suwome podcast and then we look forward to our trip to Leith in the cinch we look forward to seeing you then stand free 
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.